We're up to Daf Lamed Aleph and Aleph, three lines into the page. So, Babi Yem Darish of Yeshua ben Hurk initially, Ovet Eev. The Mishnah brings down it was a machloikas whether Eev served Hashem out of fear of punishment or out of love. And there's a very big gap between serving out of fear of punishment, which is a very low level, to serving out of love, which is a very high level. So the Gemara and the crux of the Shaila is the Pasuk says, Hein even if Hashem were to kill me, loy ayechal. And it seems to be they argue whether loy is spelled with a vav or spelled with an aleph. If it's spelled with an aleph, it means if God were to kill me, loy ayechal, I would not serve him. I would not wait for him. That's out of fear. That's a lower level. Loy ayechal with a vav means even if Hashem were to kill me, loy I would still wait for him. So it seems to be machloikis is how to spell a posik. Now the problem is, Torah, we have a Kabbalah. We know how the Torah is supposed to be spelled. So says the Gemara, Belichsi hai loy, just check the posik. If it's lamed aleph, it means no. And that's out of fear. And if it's spelled with a vav, it means out of love. So just, just check what the Pasuk says. So the Gemara answers, it's not a Shailah of how it's spelled. The truth is, even if it's spelled with an Aleph, although the simple meaning of loy Aleph, Lamed Aleph is no, it could be darshaned as Lamed Vav, because it sounds the same. So the answer is, Not every time in Tanakh that it's spelled Lamed Aleph is it meant to be translated literally. I'll prove it to you. It says, The Pasuk says that Hashem says, In all of Klal Yisrael Tsar, Loi Tsar. Seemingly, Loi Tsar with an Aleph means, I do not feel pain. Meaning Hashem doesn't feel pain when we feel pain? Of course that's not true. You're going to translate it literally. And if you say that's true, The Pasuk says that Hashem sent a Malach to save Klal Yisrael. So, Loi Tsar, although it's spelled with an Aleph, it's red with a vav. That bechol tsarasim loitzar. Whenever we feel pain, he feels pain. Hakadosh Baruch Hu feels pain. So you see that even though it's spelled with an aleph, it could be darshaned with a vav. So mashmahaki, mashmahaki. So therefore, going back to this, hence there's an argument: should it be translated the way it's written, or could it be translated with a vav the way it's read as well? Okay. So we have two opinions as to whether it's out of love or out of fear. But the truth is, there's a third level, and that's called yiras haroimimus. You see. Yira, you see, Ahava means that you love Hashem, therefore you want to connect to Him. It's a very high level. Fear out of punishment means, I'm doing this because I don't want to get punished. Low level. But there's a second type of Yira that's very, very similar to Ahava. It's very close to Ahava. And that's called Yira Saraimus. Yira Saraimus means that because I love Him so much, I'm afraid to disappoint Him. I'm afraid to do anything that will sever this relationship. That's called Yeris Arimus. It's very, very much connected to Ahava. So the truth is, there's a third opinion, and that's Rameir. Rameir feels that Eov served Hashem out of Yeris Arimus, which is very much connected to Ahava. So Tanya, Rameir, Oimer, Nema Yerili Kim It says the word fear by Eov, and Nema Yerili Kim Avram, and it says the word fear by Avram, Ma Yerili Kim just like the fear by Avram. was not a low-level Yira, but Yeris Arimus, which stems from love. So too, the fear of Eev was also a Yeris Arayma. So it wasn't straight Ahava, but it wasn't straight Yeris Ha'inush. It's Yeris Arayma, which comes from Ahava, meaning that when you love, therefore it naturally creates a fear of disappointing. And that was the fear of, of sort of Meir's opinion is that Eev was not Yeris Ha'inush, but Yeris Ha'inush. And how do we know that Avram served Hashem out of uh, Yeris Ha'inush? Which comes from love, Avram because the Pasuk describes Avram as my beloved, the one who loves me. 
Now go back to the original year, which is Yeris Oynish. What's the difference between serving at Hashem out of love or serving at Hashem, serving Hashem out of fear of punishment? The difference is described in the following price. It's greater to serve Hashem out of love than out of fear of punishment. Because fearing serving Hashem out of fear of punishment will protect your descendants for a thousand generations. It's the very beginning. But it's only a thousand. But serving Hashem out of love, your descendants will, will fear Him for two thousand. Double the amount. How do I know? It says, For thousands of generations, for those who love me. You see, love. Thousands, which is two thousand. And it says regarding fear, Shoimre mitzvah is always a lotion of fear. Well, for a thousand. So you see, that's the difference. The problem is, But doesn't it also say, for those that love me, which is love, and those that fear, for a thousand generations. That implies that a thousand generations is even for those that love him, because it says for those that love and those that fear for a thousand generations. So the Gemara says, so you see that even for love is a thousand generations. And the answer is, hide the samachle, hide the samachle. No, that pasuk when it says lo yavav for love, l'shaimer mitzvaysav, and those that fear l'elavdar, the elavdar is going on just the previous one, which is fear. So it says love and fear a thousand generations. The thousand generations is going on the previous statement of fear, not two statements before, two words before, which is love. Okay, fine. There were two students that sat in front of Rava. One said to Rava, I had in a dream the following Pasuk was read to me. We know that in a dream, if you have a Pasuk read to you, it's like a Shtikl Nevuah. The following Pasuk says, Think of how much goodness there is stored away for those that fear me. Fear Hashem. And the other one told Rava, I was told in a dream, they read to me in the following pasuk, all those that uh, that uh, take refuge in me will rejoice. They will sing together. And those that love you will exalt in you. So one pasuk, one student heard a pasuk set mentioning fear. Another pasuk had a, another student had a pasuk referencing love. Similarly, Rava said to both of them, "Both of you are completely righteous." One comes from love, and one comes from fear. Okay, uh, about to start a very very short parak. I think it's like a daf and a half. So the parak is like this. A lot of the stuff we've already had. From the first parak, if you warn your wife and she secludes, Rav Yezer says even if you heard that she secluded from a bird, you have to you have to uh, divorce her and pay her ksuba. What this means like this: Rav Yezer's sheet in the first mishnah of the mesechta is that the seclusion could be done in front of one witness. Once one witness sees the seclusion, then she has to drink. When he says over here a bird, what he means is, even if you hear the information, like you just, you drop the information, was dropped to you, meaning it was told to you by a person who's not a kosher aid, let's say a slave, a child, then she's a saita, she has to drink. That's Rav Now Rav Yeshua in the first Mishnah held 
that a woman only drinks if there's two witnesses. But Rav Yeshua says, What it means is, it's only a problem if there are either two witnesses or until women who spin thread are gossiping about her. Meaning, in other words, Rav Yeshua is saying, let's say you never heard it directly from any witnesses, but so many people are talking about it. It's just such a gossip that everyone's just like, you heard this, what I heard this, what I heard this, I heard, I heard she's secluded, I heard she can adultery. Once the rumors are going around to that extent, then she, then the marriage is off. Now what's interesting is Rashi points out, in this case, because once the rumors go out to that extent, you see in Revelezer said that if he hears from a bird, meaning eh, someone tell you hear from anybody, then she's a saita, she gets to drink. This is different. This is that once the rumor mill is so bad that everybody's talking about it, then she can't drink anymore. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not able for her to drink. Meaning, yeah, it, it's, it, then you have to, you, she can't drink, they have to get divorced. Okay, that's her Yeshua's opinion. Now, let's say after the seclusion, after her seclusion, a single witness came forward and said, I saw them actually have adultery, the committed relations in that room. She doesn't drink anymore. Meaning, this we had in the first parak that if an Eid Echad comes out of nowhere and says that this woman committed adultery, we don't believe her. But over here, because there was warning in the seclusion, then the Eid Echad comes forward and says, in the seclusion, they committed adultery. We believe him to the extent that she doesn't drink and marriage is off. Not only that, even if the Eid Echad who says they live together was an Eved or a Shivcha, believed that they don't drink, and she doesn't, she forfeits aksuba based on the testimony of people that are puzzle edus. Chamaisa, let's say, her mother-in-law, Ubas Chamaisa, her mother-in-law's daughter, Sarasa, her co-wife, Yevimta, Yevama co-wife, Bas Baila, her stepdaughter, Harel and Amanis. All of these women are believed to say that she lived with someone while she was secluded, but... So she can't drink, but but she keeps Aksuba. Because while we do believe that what they're saying is true, to the extent that we don't allow her to drink, but because we do or are concerned that there's uh, you know ulterior motives, we're gonna get them make them get divorced. We're not gonna have her drink because she might die, right? If what they're telling is true, then she's gonna die. So we're not gonna have her drink. On the other hand, they might be lying, so they she she keeps her ksuba. Okay. Now, we said before that if after the seclusion, one witness came forward and said that, that she committed adultery, we believe him. And the Mishnah says, we had this again earlier in the Masechah, the truth is, I would say, logically, not like that. I would say, right, you need two witnesses for the seclusion, according to Rabbi Yeshua, but one witness for the for the testifying that she lived with someone. Now, which out of the two actually ends it forever? The seclusion just makes her a sota. She could still get out of it. But the saying that she lived with someone, the marriage is over forever. So if you need two for the seclusion, I would think, you need two to end the marriage. When it comes to the seclusion, that only puts a temporary ban on the marriage until she drinks. You still need two witnesses. Then for the actual testimony of the adultery, that ends the marriage forever. All the more so you need two witnesses. So why would so why does one enough? This is Aiden Ba. The Pasik says that there's uh that they live together of Aiden Ba. There is no there is no aid meaning, and we translate eight as two. There is no two, but rather there's one. 
and she's also so the pasuk specifically says that for the adultery one witness is believed after the seclusion now the mishnah continues now go to the next page meaning now go backwards if one witness is enough for this for the living together then one witness should be enough for the seclusion regarding the the actual relations that ends the marriage that works with a single witness so for the seclusion that doesn't end the marriage forever all the more so one should be enough so how do I know you need two witnesses for the seclusion it says over here it says over by uh, testimony in general, just like over there, for all legal matters, you need two witnesses, so the source that you need two, by the seclusion, is Dover Dover. Now, the end of the mission of the Gemara is going to ask, that um, that's not the source that you need two for the seclusion. The source that you need two for the seclusion is not from Dover, it's from Eidein Bah. That Eidein Ba means that we believe one. Ba, we only believe one for the relations and not for the seclusion. So the Gemara is going to address that. One witness says she they live together during, uh, during the seclusion. But one says they did not. One disagrees with him. Meaning, how do you disagree with that? You know, uh, the other one says, I was with him and that's not, uh, he couldn't have seen. Or one woman says she lived with someone. The one witness, one woman said they had relations. And another one says they did not have relations. She drinks. In both these cases, she drinks. The one and one are canceled out, and she drinks. If one witness says she was defiled. But two say, nah. So one says she committed adultery, and two say, no, she didn't. She believed. We believe the two. Two beats one. But But if two say, that she committed adultery, and then one says she did not, she doesn't drink because we believe the two. Basically, we always go with two over one. Okay. Now, the Mishnah said that the source that you need two for the seclusion is Dover Dover. The problem is, I thought the source is from the word Ba, that Ba means that one is enough, so how could you say that the source is from Dover Dover? That's not true. It's from Ba. So the answer is Hachanami Kama. You're right. The source that you need to for this seclusion is from the word Ba. So what does Dover Dover teach you? Dover Dover teaches you something else. That we only believe one witness if they came forward after there was seclusion. But if one witness comes forward, stam out of the veldt and knocks on a guy's door and says, I know your wife committed adultery, we don't believe the guy. Why? Because Dover Dover. That's what Dover Dover teaches you. How do I know that Stam one witness is not believed to say that she committed adultery Stam without warning, without seclusion? Okay. Now, the Gemara is a Kasha. The Kasha is like this. The Mishnah said that if one witness comes forward and said that she committed adultery and then another witness disagrees, one and one cancel each other out. And therefore she drinks. Now here's the Gemara's kasha. Now before we get there, we said that one witness is believed. In general. right? The only reason why over here it's not believed is because they cancel each other out. But let's say there was no cancellation. One witness comes forward and says, I saw the seclusion. After the seclusion, and during the seclusion, 
I saw they lived together. The halacha, meaning two people come forward and say that there was seclusion, and the one witness comes forward and says, in the seclusion I saw through the window they lived together. The halacha is he's believed, and marriage is over. And what was the source? The Mishnah referenced it, Eid Ein Ba. Now the Gemara wants to know, please speak out what exactly is that full drasha. We have this, this is in Daf Beis Amid Aleph. So the Gemara says, Minan Emili, what's the source? Ditan Rabban on Eid Ein Ba. The Pasuk says there was no witness about the relations. Bishnai Mekasim Medava, when it says Eid, Eid means two. There is no two, but rather there's one. How do I know the word aid means two? Maybe the word aid means one, and there's no witness at all. So then, by the way, what does it mean that the, she's also The Gemara already asked this in Daf Beis and Beis. But anyway, how do I know that the word aid means two? Meaning, and if the word aid means two, aid ain't but there is no two, but rather there's one, and he's believed. Maybe aid means one. The pasuk says elsewhere aid echad, which why do you have to say is an aid singular? So of course it's echad. So teaches you every aid means two until told otherwise. This a general rule. Aid always means two. Aid always means two. So aid ain ba means there is no two, but rather there's one. The Pasuk is saying, there is no two witnesses. There's only one. She was not raped. Asura, she's Asur. Okay. So, fine. So, in Eid Echad is Neman. Here's the Kasha, though. The Mishnah said that if one witness comes forward and says that they live together, another witness comes forward and says, uh-uh, not true. What's the halacha? They cancel each other out. And she drinks. Here's the problem. Once the Torah gives the power to one witness, that means the Torah is saying, I believe one witness like it's two. So, once the Torah believes him, then how does that later person disprove that? Meaning... Once the Torah gives the power, you see, normally one witness is nothing. But over here the Torah is saying, regarding saying they committed adultery, we believe one witness. Which means that his statement has the power of two people. Then later when one witness says, I, it's not true, that's just a random guy. Meaning, generally one witness is, not, is nothing, has no power. But over here when it comes to belief that they committed adultery, the Torah is going to believe one witness, which means... You have these two people said something. The first one said they committed adultery. The Torah believes that with the power of two. Then a guy comes forward and says, I was with the guy. What are you talking about? Nuh-uh. That person is a random Eid Echad. And it's not like the Torah said, I believe you when it comes to these concepts. The Torah is saying, I specifically believe one witness when he says damning evidence that they committed, adult, uh, committed adultery. So that means that when the first person says about the adultery, that one witness is not just one witness, has the power of two. Then when the other guy says they didn't live together, that's one witness without the power of two. So it's two against one. So the Gemara says, because the Torah is giving power to the person who said they committed adultery. Then how does the other person disagree with him? Anytime the Torah believes a single witness, it has the power of two. So when the first person comes forward and said they committed adultery, it's like two people coming forward. And then when the other guy says, I disagree with you, it's like two against one. That person should be believed that she shouldn't drink. So, so Ula says you have to change the girsa when it says one against one. It's not a cancellation. We believe the first guy, and she does not drink. Change the girsa. 
Rav Chia Amar Hayisashay. Rav Chia says no. Keep the gears as is. One gets one gets cancelled. I Ula made a good point, which is that any time the Torah believes one witness, it has the power of two. So when the first person, when Reuven comes forward and says they commit adultery, Reuven is like Reuven and Shimon. And then when Levi comes forward to disagree with them, it's Reuven and Shimon against Levi. So why Taka does does it cancel each other out? Like Kasha Kam Bevasachas Kam The answer is the case of our Mishnah is where they're both coming at the same time. Meaning. If one witness comes forward Monday morning and says they committed adultery, and then another witness comes forward Tuesday morning and says, I disagree, then it's taka two against one, we believe the first guy. But over here, the case of the Mishnah, when they cancel each other out, is where the single witness and the other guy who disagrees with them are coming forward at the same time. So the first witness who says they committed adultery, the other guy is already in court saying, I disagree with you. So because his edus was never set, they cancel each other out. So meaning, if it was not at the same time, we would believe the first witness... But because it's coming at the same time, they cancel each other out. And our Mishas Dafka talking about where the Eidos is at the same time. Here's the Kasha. You're telling me, we'll end with this. You're telling me our Mishnah is Dafka talking about where they're made at the same time, where the two single witnesses come forward at the same time. Tanan. The Mishnah then said, One witness says she was defiled. And then two say she wasn't. She drinks because two beats one. The implication is, but had they had been one against one, we would believe the first guy. Meaning, you're telling me our Mishnah means that they're coming forward at the same time. But the end of the Mishnah said that if one person says she was defiled and two people disagree, we go two over one. The implication is, if it was one against one, they would, if it was one against one, then we will believe the first guy. I thought they're coming at the same time. They should cancel each other out. So Amlach Rav responded, According to you, go to the end of the Mishnah. The Mishnah then said, two people say she was defiled, and one person says she was not. We believe the, the two. The implication is, The implication is, if it's one against one, she does drink. So meaning basically you have a contradiction in the Mishmaris and the Mishnah. Do we believe one against one? So you know what the answer is? Elakula Bipsuliadis. The case of our Mishnah is not talking about kosher witnesses, but rather we're talking about people that are not kosher. They're talking about women, people who are not allowed to testify. And it follows the teaching of Ranachemi, the Tanya, Ravnachemi Aimer. Nechemi gives a rule. Any time a single witness come, is is believed, meaning any time you have an edus that we believe a single witness, we go by numbers. And if you have two women disagreeing with one man, the two women win. Meaning, in other words, we started with a kasha, and that was because Ula said, any time the Torah believes one witness, it has the power of two. And then, if it's one against one, it's not really one against one, it's two against one. The answer is, that's not the Psaq of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is really following Rav Nechemia. And that is, Rav Nechemia says, anytime one witness is believed, meaning anytime you have, you're allowed to accept the Eidus of people that are apostle Eidus, then the Halacha is, we go by numbers. So if you have one person that says something, and then two people disagree with him, we're going to go with two. I, it's, I thought, Eidach, the answer is, that whole concept that one witness has the power of two is only when we accept only kosher edim. But anytime you accept non-kosher edim, then it's a numbers game. Two is going to beat one. Whether the one came first, the two came after, the two came first, the one came after, we're going to go two after one. 
So therefore, our Mishnah is not a kasha on Ula, because Ula's whole point was only referring to cases where we accept kosher edus. That's one, yeah, you accept kosher edus, then one witness comes forward, we believe him like two, and then the second one disagrees, okay, fine. But our Mishnah is talking about where they're pasal edus. When they're pasal edus, the halacha is, you go by roiv. It's a numbers game. Two will be one. Four will be two. It's not like other edus where once it's two, that's the max. A hundred could be a disagree with two and it's equal. The answer is no, not by Pasaladis. So therefore, the reason why our mission makes sense is because we don't just say, oh, well, one witness, it's Kilu, it's two. No, one is one. Two will beat one, even if it's two women against one man. And therefore, the Mishnah Taka makes a lot of sense. It's a numbers game. I will right, we'll stop here.